The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are working super hard every single week to be a source of information and inspiration for you to start or grow your real estate investing career. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati is holding a very special two-day weekend event uh, this upcoming Saturday and Sunday with Robin Thompson, who, of course, was a guest here on Real Life Real Estate uh, just a few weeks back. Um, Day one, which is Saturday, is all about how to buy, fix, and sell properties. Uh, Day two, strangely enough, from the Queen of Rehab, is all about how to buy and hold uh, properties that are um, nicer rentals than you might be used to. Uh, Here in the greater Cincinnati area, we'd be talking about rentals in the hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollar price range for a single family home which you know that's sort of sort of high end compared to what a lot of us own um that that workshop is open to the public uh, there is a cost of 127 dollars to non-members and 97 dollars to members but i mention this because it is super duper close to being full and if it was something that you wanted to attend, you probably ought to go check it out at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A.com, because uh, there's not going to be any space by, like, tomorrow. Uh, there's also an opportunity, if you can't attend this week in Cincinnati, to attend next week in Columbus, Ohio. That information is also at CincinnatiRIA.com. Uh, we're going to take some time out today from our usual kind of constant discussion of single family homes and notes and things like that uh, to get an update on what in the world is going on in the apartment market. Uh, joining me today to talk about what what is happening in that side of the real estate industry uh, is Anthony Chara, who started uh, investing back in 1993 after uh, having given up his job at a Fortune 500 company. And he's currently the managing partner of Apartment Mentors LLC and has owned or currently owns properties just all over the United States, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Ohio, Oklahoma, lots and lots of places. Uh, He's joining us today from his home in Colorado. Anthony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. (laughs) Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing great. And you? Uh, it's it's really cold and nasty here. But on the other hand, you're in Colorado, so you probably have 10 feet of snow on the ground. So I probably shouldn't complain about the weather here. Yeah, we don't actually. It's 
it's been fairly dry. We got a snowstorm, I think, about a week ago, but it's almost all melted off except for some little sheety areas. It's official. The weather in Colorado in the middle of the winter is warmer and drier than the weather in Cincinnati in the middle of the winter. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. So that's why all those those people from Ohio and Iowa and and Kansas and Nebraska all moved to Colorado. Uh, I'm not sure that's why, Anthony, but it's 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 a it's a better thought than the one that I had about why people are moving out there. Um, So I was hoping that today we could talk about uh, what is happening in the apartment market as we are watching the single family market go nuts. Like, you know, every place I go in the country talking about single family homes, I'm hearing, I live in the hottest market in the United States and houses are selling for way more than they should, meaning like they're selling for a higher price than people can really make money on. And there's so much competition and it's so scary and terrible out here. And I don't know whether apartments are kind of doing the same thing or not. Well, um, that would depend on the area that you're at. So there are some areas around the country where the apartment markets are starting to wane a little bit. As a matter of fact, Denver is one of those markets that several reports show Denver is in hypersupply, meaning they're still building a lot of units, but vacancy is starting to creep up. Mm -hmm. And because vacancy is creeping up, the rental rates, the effective rental rates are actually starting to drop a little bit as well. So um, there, and there's some other areas around the country too that are doing that, like Washington, D.C. And, um, Let's see what else there's another one. Oh, Atlanta is also another area that is starting to peak, and uh, it's got some issues. But there's also some very hot markets around the country, like you were talking about with single-family homes. And guess where three of them are? Yeah. Let They're me guess Ohio. it's Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Cincinnati, Dayton, and Columbus, and not necessarily in that order. Dayton's doing really well. And, of course, anything between Dayton and Cincinnati along I-35. Um, it is, is it I-35 or I-75? I-75. Long I-75 is doing uh, very, very well. And then Columbus was one of the hottest apartment markets in the country last year. They actually had the best absorption rate of any major city in the country. They had uh, So one of the metrics for apartment investing is something called absorption rate. It's how quickly new product gets rented up once it is available to the market and uh, under 90 days. And Columbus last year was something around 74, 75% of every unit that came online was rented within 90 days. Mm-hmm. So now, it's cool off, it's cool off a little bit in Columbus, but it's still doing pretty well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my my perception of sort of sort of what drives the big macro numbers in apartments is the fact that they're building new ones in much bigger numbers than they're building affordable single family homes like you know you go you go to downtown columbus and there's just cranes everywhere and what they're building is brand new apartments where we go out to the suburbs the only houses you're seeing built are like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar houses they're not affordable 180 200 250 thousand dollar properties is that is that an accurate perception that there there just seem to be a lot of new buildings going up in the apartment world We are definitely not a lot of new buildings going up, especially in the downtown areas. And I think that's because they want more density. They want more people to be able to live downtown. 
and not have to necessarily worry about their commutes. Plus, there just seems to be probably started maybe five or six years ago, just a, a lot more people that are interested in having that almost like the downtown lifestyle, like people are used to in New York City, where you can just walk to the different places that you want to go to. You can walk to restaurants, coffee shops, pizza houses, movie theaters. It's very urban feel to it, and that seems to be the trend that's happening more and more. And yes, there's a lot of new product going up in a lot of major downtown areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how all of this actually affects the kind of investor you are, which is not someone who's out building new apartment buildings, but who is someone out looking for uh, properties that are, are already out there, probably not downtown, probably not these little micro units that the millennials want that are you know 350 square feet for $1,700 a month, but more what we would all consider sort of investable properties. We're also going to talk about what's going on in the finance market for apartments, whether it is possible for folks who uh, don't have millions of dollars up front and uh, 800 credit scores to finance these buildings. Uh, where to find the good deals and lots of other stuff. We're going to take uh, listener calls at 877-772-9658. Again, that number is 877-772-9658. Or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Anthony Chara. He's probably a familiar name to those of you who are longtime listeners of Real Life Real Estate. Uh, Anthony comes on the show about once a year and sort of updates us about what is happening in his world of buying apartment buildings. And uh, Anthony, I can't ever keep up on your bio with how many units you and your partners own what are you what are you up to these days uh we're a little over 1800 now 1800 units and you you said something kind of important um earlier on that sort of i don't know i think it it it, it might have missed some of the listeners which is that because you buy bigger buildings you don't worry about where they are the way i worry about whether my single family home is too far away for me to manage. So you can, you and your folks can take advantage of the fact that maybe, you know, the Kansas city market is super hot, but the Denver market is super cold because you don't really care where the buildings are. That is correct. We don't because we hire professional management companies or our own employees for each project that we purchase. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, just to give just to give a little bit of background uh, to listeners here who may be hearing you for the first time, as we as we're talking about apartment buildings and as we're talking about uh, things like getting financing for them and getting professional management for them, apartment buildings could really mean anything from like a four family up to a thousand units. Is in your mind is there a sweet spot for apartment investors? Well, the sweet spot for us is over 100 units just because it's a lot easier to manage those types of properties because once you start getting above 70-ish, 80 units, you can now afford the property. So I guess one of the things I, I teach people is that real estate is a business. Whether you're doing fix and flips or wholesaling or buying apartments, it's a business. It needs to be treated like a business. It needs to be run like a business. So having said that, I recommend that you have a property manager for every type of property. 
Well, when you start getting above 70, 80 units, now it's actually more cost effective because you can have your own property manager and your own maintenance person on site five or six days a week. And of course, the bigger units, you can get more people on site. You can have a, a property manager and a leasing agent and they can rotate and you can get seven days of coverage along with having two maintenance people to make sure you're covered for seven full days as well. So the cost is a lot lower when you can actually have your own people right on site. They're watching the property. They see what's going on. They can react faster as opposed to having some of these smaller properties where you're, you're either going to be managing yourself like some people like to do, or even if you have a management company, they're not there on site every single day to see what's going on. And it might take them a little bit longer time to react. Mm-hmm. So, but as far as a sweet spot, like I said, the sweet spot for me is over a hundred units these days, but, that doesn't mean that people should only be buying 100 units and higher. There are some people out there that are more comfortable with buying the smaller units because they, they want to ease into the apartment world. They want to buy maybe a 10 unit or 12 unit and go up to a 20 or 30, and then maybe one day get to 100 units, 150 units, 200 units, something like that. Mm-hmm. For the folks who are trying to dip their toes in, you know, that they're trying to get a, a 12 unit instead of a 100 unit for their very first building. Do you recommend that they keep those close to home? Well, if they're only looking at getting a 12-unit building, then yes, I would recommend that they get it at home. But if their goal is to expand and buy, in a particular market, buy a 12-unit here, and then a couple months later buy another 12-unit or 10-unit or 15-unit, and then a couple months after that buy another one, then certainly they can go out of their own backyard as long as they have that comfort level because some people do get a little intimidated by the fact that they can't go drive by the property and see the property and touch the property and smell the property. Uh, And it's easier for me to actually have my properties out of state because then I'm not tempted to drive by because I can be a micromanager and get very, very picky about how my apartments are run. And, And sometimes I jump in and I get in the manager's way by having them do things that may not be the Uh, most efficient for them, but I do it because it's the way that I want the property run as opposed to the way that they are running it. And as long as they're running it efficiently and it's making money, it's easier for me to have it out of state so I can stay out of their way and just let them do their Mm -hmm. job. It would be like if you owned a McDonald's and you went in and were helping the fry cook cook the hamburgers right, right? Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so very good. Now, tell me, me, um, in your world... Because I know you're you're like deep into this apartment world every day. You're, you know, you're going out and teaching people how to do it. You're coaching people. You're doing it yourself. H- how do you react when the market starts to get into hyper supply, as you say? Because I'm mean, yeah, I know that these build most of these new buildings are being built downtown. But if you have a building in an outlying suburb that you're looking at, it's got to affect how much rent you can get and how quickly you can rent your units if there are 900 vacant units downtown because they overbuilt properties downtown. So like in, in terms of your thinking about do I buy at all? At what price do I buy? How does this affect you? Sure. Well, there's a couple of options in, in markets that are in hyper supply. <clears throat> one of the things that I would tell somebody is not to pay full price for the property and don't get hung up on the fact that you hear all the hype about how the hot the market is there's there's indicators that let you know that even though the market may be hot today or it still appears to be hot it's tipping and it's turning in 
a way that the hypersupply is going to cause the rental rates to start to drop, and of course, vacancy rates are going to start to go up. So one of the things that you can do if you still want to buy in that market is instead of going out and getting a loan and buying a property for full price, one option would be to buy it on something called a master lease option, which you're very familiar with, with, with lease options. Mm-hmm. But you can also do a master lease option. And the only reason it's called a master lease is because your lease is a master lease that allows you to control all of the units in the property as opposed to a single family home, which only has one. So you could buy it, get it locked up at a, at a strike price and run it for a couple of years, two years, three years, five years. And if the market continues to drift and slide and not come back as quickly as you had hoped it would, you could just cancel your option and walk away, hand the keys back to the seller, and you have little risk doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's one way of getting it under control or, or getting it, continuing to buy in an area that has hypersupply. Another thing you can do, of course, is not – if you are going to buy it, just don't pay full price because the market will dip, and it's going to dip here in Denver – and you don't want to buy a property at full price today that a year from now might be worth tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars less than what you paid for it. That just makes no sense. So the other option would be, or the last option would be to go to a completely different market because every market is different. Even though nationally apartments are ranked in hypersupply, meaning that there's a lot more apartments that are needed in most major metropolitan areas, but that's based on national averages. And there are some areas, like I mentioned earlier, between Dayton. Matter of fact, Detroit is one of the hottest markets in the country right now for apartments. Um, Jackson, Mississippi is another hot market. There's about five or six hot markets these days. So as long as you're okay going outside of your own major metropolitan area, pick one of the other markets that's coming up. Now you can go pay full price in some of these other markets. Since their cycle is local, and you can ride up their wave as the apartment market starts to heat up in those particular areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I don't hear you saying is that people should be just laying out of the market and seeing what happens and, you know, maybe not buying anything for a few years. Well, that's a possibility, too. But again, for me, I would lay out of a particular area that's in hypersupply, but that's not going to keep me from buying in other areas of the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, you know, it's, with professionals like yourself who've already been through a couple of these cycles, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how many times the uh, apartment cycle has peaked and crashed well since 93, but I can tell you that in, in my business, it's been at, le- we've had at least two minor um, setbacks and one huge one. And you get to the point where instead of saying, I'm not doing things right now, you say, I'm just doing them differently. Correct. I believe it's always a good time to buy, but based on where you are within the cycle, you need to change your strategy and possibly change your location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the the master so, lease option idea is a really interesting one that I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of, even apartment investors are they're kind of aware that it exists and they've heard of it and they've thought of it as something that maybe only newbies do because it doesn't require that you go get your own financing or typically put a lot of money up front but this idea of let's let's control it this way to see what happens in with this building in this market is a really good one yeah, absolutely and, and some of the time, or a lot of the times, master lease options work with sellers that are motivated. 
It's easier to have that conversation. If somebody has to get out now for a variety of reasons, we've bought properties that uh, one of the owners became gravely ill and the other one had to spend time with them and didn't have time to manage the property themselves. They needed to be done with it and they needed to be done with it now. And they didn't want to wait 60 days or 90 days or 120 days for financing to come through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we just, wait, actually, we just, we just got a question uh, via email at askvina at gmail.com that I was kind of going to ask you anyway, which is uh, Jerry from Atlanta is saying, does Anthony have any predictions about the next two to three years and what, uh, what is likely to happen in the market in various places during that time. So I think that what Jerry is asking, Jerry's from Atlanta, and I think he heard you say Atlanta. He's <laughs> yep. probably panicking about Atlanta right now. Um, I think the question here is, is this going to be a cycle that pushes through the entire con- country ultimately? I mean, you said that Denver might be getting a bit overbuilt. DC might be getting a bit overbuilt, but uh, uh, Detroit still needs apartments. Well, in five years, is Detroit going to be overbuilt? Is this a thing that's going to go like a wave throughout the country, or are there just always going to be local markets that just are on a completely different cycle than everybody else? Yeah, there, there's as a whole, apartments across the country are leaning more and more towards hyper supply. But yes, every single market is local. So you are going to have some areas like Denver and Atlanta that are in hypersupply right now, and you're going to start to see that change here probably within the next 6 to 12 months. You're going to see the vacancies start to go up and rental rates drop even more. But there are other areas that were lagging. Detroit was lagging. One of the best things that Detroit did was file for bankruptcy protection back in 2014 or not bankruptcy protection, but they actually filed bankruptcy and went through the bankruptcy process. And ever since then, there's been a lot of investment going on in the Detroit area. And so there's a lot of pent-up demand for apartments in that area. And that's one of the reasons it's one of the hottest areas in the country right now. Mm -hmm. If there was a listener who was sitting on a sizable building and was kind of thinking that he might want to sell sometime in the next three or four years, would this be a good time to consider going ahead and putting that property on the market? I would say it depends on where that property is located. If it's in Denver or Atlanta, now would probably be a good time to sell. Yes. Mm-hmm. If it's in if it's in Detroit, I would be buying in Detroit if I was interested in the Detroit market. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I think one of the you you mentioned hyper supply, and that's uh, um, I'm not sure all the listeners know that what you're what you're referring to there is uh, the 18 year real estate cycle. Uh, that has four parts, and the third part is hypersupply, and the, the then the fourth part is recession, and it uh, tends to be the case that throughout the hypersupply phase, as as there are too many properties and they continue to be built, the prices weirdly still continue to go up during that phase. And then it's only when it's only when the cycle crosses the line to the point where there, you know, you're just at this tipping point where there are just not enough people to fill the units that you start seeing the prices dropping. So typically, as 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 cities or whole markets start to go into hypersupply, that's still a good time to sell. Yeah, and that would be a great time to sell, even if it's in hypersupply. You're absolutely correct because they're still building like crazy, and you're absolutely right. 
Even rents are still going up. Even though vacancies going up, rents around the country are still going up anywhere from 3 to 4% per year. Mm-hmm. But eventually it's going to tip, just like you mentioned. It's going to tip and it's going to go into recession, which means you're going to see vacancy go up even higher. And then rental rates are going to start to drop. And then you're going to start to see sellers or owners selling their buildings at a discount in order to get rid of them if they're having some type of money troubles. And it's usually the people that buy during the hyper supply uh, that pay full price that end up getting in trouble in a couple of years because they don't have enough income coming in to pay the mortgage now because mm-hmm. they bought it the wrong part of the cycle. And that's also the time when Anthony and all of his students are running around buying cheap properties because recession is actually the best time to if, if what you're looking for is is cheap properties that are uh what do you call them uh, not a turnover opportunity um uh, value play yes a value play <laughs> if you're looking for a value play as opposed to uh just something that's already kind of up and running and is going to give you a nice income uh recession is, tends to be a really great time to find those so uh we need to take another quick break uh talking today to anthony chara about what is happening in the apartment investing business if that's a business that you're interested in that you've thought about that you've you've kind of thought you know why am i owning all these single family homes when i could just have 40 units under one roof and that would be better This is a great time to call and ask any questions that you might have. 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or send an email, just send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Anthony Chara about what is up in the apartment world. Now, Anthony... um, I'm, I'm sure it's no coincidence, Anthony, that you're going to be in Ohio next month. You just named the what you thought the three some of the three of the hottest cities in the country were, and you're going to be in all three of them <laughs> between March the first and March the seventh. And um, if folks want to come out and see you, uh, give a give an actual talk with slides and pictures, and you know what you want to say instead of what I want to hear, uh, they can come to Cincinnati Rhea on March the first. At CincinnatiRia.com. They can come to uh, Cori in Columbus on March the 6th, CentralOhioRia.com. And I think you're in Dayton on March the 7th. Have I got these dates accurate? No. <laughs> I'm completely wrong. <laughs> Maybe I should look at this before I take a look. Okay. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in in Columbus on the 6th. Right. I'll be in Dayton on the 7th. Right. I'll be in Hamilton County on the 8th. Oh, uh, right. Butler County. Yeah, you're doing the IPOA group. Butler County on the 8th. Yeah. And then I do I do Cincinnati on the 15th. Ah, okay. Yeah. So we got now, now we got it straight. <laughs> yeah, because on, on the 1st, I'll actually be on the, the real estate cruise. Yeah. Okay. So 6th six, six, six Columbus, 7th Dayton, 8th. Uh, IPOA in Butler County, uh, which is one of the fastest growing counties in the state, by the way. Uh, and then on the 15th here in Cincinnati. We got it. Perfect. Um, so uh, all of those groups have websites. All of them, I think, have guest passes for people who want to come see you. Uh, we'll let we'll let folks decide when and where they are going to see you. Uh, I have a question here from uh, Kiki in Greensboro. I assume that's it's North Carolina, right? Or is it South Carolina? I don't know. It just says Greensboro. Um she, I'm assuming it's a she, 
says, can Anthony clarify whether the property class matters in all of this talk about hypersupply? We actually don't have a lot of new class A buildings here. What we have is a lot of B, C, and even D. No one is building new properties in these neighborhoods. So is it likely that we're going to be affected by the brand new apartments? Mm-hmm. Well, great question. If they're not building a lot of new stuff in Greensboro, then no, it's not going to be affected as much as the rest of the country. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at a report right now that shows that Greensboro is actually in the expansion phase. Mm. So that means rents are going up, vacancies going down, and builders are building, but it's building is relative to the population in that particular area as well. So one one market can be extremely hot because they just put in a new 100-unit complex, and that might have added an extra 1% or 2% to the, the supply, and then you've got another area that built a thousand units, and that only added half a percent to the supply because of how many people are in that submarket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's an interesting underlying question that she has here, which is, um, you know, my father owned a lot of apartment units. He, at one point, he had, I, I say a lot, not compared to you. He had, he had, a, he had a hundred that were spread across three separate buildings here in Cincinnati, and one of them was in a really like like it's in it's in an area that the the apartment market has always been hot because it is close to the university but it's not student housing it's more like professor housing and doctor housing and stuff like that and then his other buildings were what i would probably describe as class c properties they were they were older buildings in older neighborhoods they were not you know they weren't they weren't a building that if you bought it you you'd come in and necessarily like completely update it because the rents just wouldn't support it so um, is a brand new building downtown that has all the bells and whistles and the elevators and the covered parking and the, I don't even know, I don't hang out downtown, so I don't even know what all these all these buildings have, but is the fact that a new unit is, is built there really going to affect the, the type C unit two suburbs away when they just don't even share a tenant base at all? Yeah. And it's it's not. So generally what you have is you have the A-class buildings that are being built that are going to affect the older A-class buildings that are now becoming B-class buildings. So as long as people have that extra income and they're willing to spend that money for the nice things like the gym and the, the underground parking or the above ground parking that's covered <clears throat> and they want to live in the high rise, they want to be down where the maybe the neighborhood is turning and it's hip and the place to be because it's got all the new cool restaurants and that kind of stuff then you're always going to have people that want to pay that extra money. So the B-class properties, generally what happens is sometimes the the people that are living in those get siphoned out and they go into the nicer A-class buildings. But you're always going to have people that don't want to pay the exorbitant rents that they're talking about. Like you mentioned earlier about the micro uh, apartments. We've got some of those here in Denver, 250, 350 square feet. And they're getting anywhere from twelve hundred to two thousand dollars, depending on what floor you're on. And literally, all it is is a hotel with a bed in it. It's pretty much a studio unit with a little mini kitchen in it, and it, it's just nuts. But right now, that's all the craze because people, for whatever reason, whether it's millennials or they're, they want a nice small space. They don't have to worry about a whole lot of maintenance. They don't want to have to worry about a lot of cleaning. And of course, here in Denver, it's all about the lifestyle. People would rather spend more time outside anyway. So they just want a small place where they can sleep, and then they spend the other 12, 14, 16 hours a day outside doing something. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. 
Okay, so uh, I asked you about a sweet spot in terms of number of units. Do you have a sweet spot, or are you finding that your your students are getting better deals in a particular kind of property class? I mean, it's it's. I know it's not going to be A's because you're you, you and you your folks don't build, but B, C, D. Well, the sweet the sweet spot for most of my students when they first start up is the C class types of properties. They generally get better cash on cash returns, better cash flow, but. It, there's also a trade-off, too, because your manager has to be more hands-on. They have to be prepared to handle that type of tenant who, for whatever reason, thinks that it's okay not to pay their rent on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot more residents in C-class properties that figure, well, it's not that they figure they don't need to pay the rent, but they're just not fiscally responsible. They don't realize that once they get their paycheck, they have to set money aside in order to pay the rent at the end of the month, they just cash their check, put the money in their pocket, and because they have money in their pocket, they spend it. And all of a sudden, the, the first of the month rolls around, and they're like, oh, crap, I forgot to save up my money. Now I have to wait for my next paycheck so I can pay the rent. So as long as you're willing to put up with some of those issues, if your manager doesn't do a good job of screening the tenants before they put them in, you're actually going to get some pretty decent cash flow. But again, it's more hands-on. You've got managers who are going up and knocking on the doors on a monthly basis to collect the rent and that kind of stuff. You start moving up into B-class properties. You generally have more people that know they're supposed to pay the rent. They usually have better paying jobs, more secure type jobs where they're not jumping around from place to place. But if they are jumping around, it's usually because they found an even better job as opposed to C-class residents that get laid off or get fired from different positions because they show up late or the company's downsizing and they're usually the first ones to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the financing situation out in the world. There was a, there was a time there that, um, well, really no banks wanted to give anybody any money <laughs> for any kind of real estate. And when they did, when they did, the terms were not, good. And uh, I can tell you in the residential side, that's loosening up a lot. Are you seeing that in the apartment side as well? Well, in the apartments, it actually loosened up quite a bit and it's been loose for for quite a long time. Apartments have actually been going along full steam since about 2009. So, and we went through the same situation that you went through between about 2007 and 2009. We had a hard time finding any bank that would loan any money, period. And and you're absolutely right. The few that were loaning money, the rates were exorbitant. It was ridiculous. Uh, they'd only give you maybe a 60% LTV, and the interest rate was extremely high, maybe in the 7 7.5% range. And now it, it's come full circle. So a couple of years ago, you could get, as a matter of fact, you can still get 85% LTV loans mm. with, Um, interest rates under 4%, including mortgage insurance premium, and they can be locked in for 35 to 40 years through FHA. Now, in order to make those loans profitable for you, because they have very high front-end fees, you're looking at borrowing at least 2 to $3 million minimum to get one of those loans. But there are other loans out there. There's Freddie Mac, there's Fannie Mae. They're all doing 25-year AMs, 75% LTV, The interest rates are still in the low fours, which is still fantastic. But what we're seeing is that there are more and more lenders. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have crept up just a little bit, not too much as far as interest rate is concerned. But some of the local banks, community banks or regional banks that we've dealt with, 
they're now starting to take what, what's called the DFCR, the debt service coverage ratio, which uh, it's a metric that the bank looks at to see how much extra cash flow you have left over. It's a, it's a form of cushion that they want to see you have available to put in your pocket to not only take care of the property, but also to um, for emergencies, but also have that money left over. So if you do have a rough month with some with some high vacancy for some reason, you're not going to be whining and crying that you don't have enough money to pay them their monthly mortgage payment. So the DCR a couple of years ago was at 1.2, which means you had to have about a 20% cushion based on the amount that you were paying your mortgage company. So if your monthly mortgage bill was $10,000 a month, you had to have an extra $2,000 in cash flow, which was good because that cash flow, of course, is your profit that was going in your pocket. unless, like I said, there was some type of emergency that came up. Well, that slowly crept up to 1.25. And now there, we've actually seen a couple banks at 1.3 and 1.35. Hmm. So, so some of the local banks are starting to get a little more skittish in some areas of the country, seeing what's happening with the overbuilding and uh, the vacancy starting to creep up. They're kind of pulling back a little bit. And some of them have also dropped their LTVs, where we used to be able to get 75 or 80% from some of these banks. Now they're dropping that down. There's a couple that have actually will only go as high as 70% LTV. Hmm. Okay. So... It's it's not as hard to get money, but the money is maybe not as uh, good as it would have been a couple of years ago. But it sounds like it's still good money. I mean, those those rates you're naming. I mean, I that, I would love to get that on a single family home. Yeah, we're spoiled nowadays. There's probably not many people listening that remember the good old '70s when interest rates were at 17, 18, 19 <laughs> percent. And now and now we're complaining when it goes from four and a quarter to four and a half, and four and a half to five, and people are freaking out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. We need to take one last break. I uh, want to invite uh, listeners again to email any questions to askvina at gmail.com or give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Anthony Chara. And we're, you know, because we're on the radio and not don't have access to projectors and slides and stuff like that, we're really talking just generally what's going on in the market. If you're interested in investing in apartments and you're looking for, you know, information about how do I find them and how do I evaluate them and how do I finance them and all that kind of stuff, you need to come to one of these meetings in Ohio coming up between March the 6th and March the 15th. And again, just to quickly uh, run through that. Uh, Anthony will be in Columbus on the 6th, Dayton on the 7th, uh, IPOA in Butler County on the 8th, and it's Cincinnati RIA on the 15th. You know, we just may throw up all of those dates on the Cincinnati RIA calendar just to not confuse people and let them, let them pick. Uh, it is uh, CincinnatiRIA.com for more information. Uh, just got a uh, an email from JC in Las Vegas, uh, just sort of, um, I guess, amening both your uh, assertion that some of the markets in the country are in hyper supply and uh, about some what some of the banks are doing, because one of the signs, if folks Google 18 year real estate cycle, one of the other signs of hyper supply is that um, some particularly big banks tend to get overly excited about the asset class. And they start making loans that maybe don't make a lot of sense. And JC says he has seen some, he's in Las Vegas, and he says he has seen some 
properties in California and Boston, particularly in expensive coastal and markets and gateway cities, where lenders are offering financing on small units between five and 20 doors at a break-even or under one debt service coverage ratio. He's, he's, seen, he's seen lenders that are actually loaning money when the debt service coverage ratio is under one, which I think means you don't have enough income from the building to cover your payment. And he said, I just got another email from him. He says, some of the lenders are using the income from people's work, especially if they have professions or other businesses. So in other words, they're using people's personal income, which is really unusual in the apartment finance business, isn't it, Anthony? I mean, don't we normally say your own personal stuff doesn't matter as much as like what the building's making? Well, uh, not necessarily. So certainly, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's not unusual, but it is uncommon, if that makes sense. So banks take a look at several different factors when they're going to give you a loan. One is they want to see how much money you have set aside. So the fact that a bank is loaning money on properties that have a DCR below one, which means you're right, that the property itself does not support the debt service, there's usually only two reasons the bank would do that. One is because it might be some type of a value play where the bank knows because of the track record of the buyer that the buyer is going to be able to go in and do A, B, and C. And because they're doing A, B, and C, they're going to be able to get the rents up. And then it will bring the DCR up and the cash flow up and everybody will be happy. Another reason they do it is because some banks don't care how the bank, how the property is going to perform. All they look at is the credit partner, the person that's signing on the loan to guarantee the loan, how deep their pockets are. And as long as they have deep enough pockets and they take those pockets and put them in deposits in the bank so the bank can get their hands on them if they can't make their mortgage payments, there are some lenders out there that they don't care how bad the property is. They'll loan money to you all day long because they know if the, if the property fails, they're just going to dig into your pockets and pull that money out in order to satisfy any deficiency on the property if you have to sell it at a discount. So reading between the lines here, I'm going to say that if there's an investor out there who, ha- who has found a deal on an apartment building, not, not one they're going to overpay for, but like, you know, something that makes sense that finding money for it is not going to be a huge problem? Not usually. As long as the numbers work, we've been able to raise millions and millions of dollars for different deals all around the country from private investors. Mm-hmm. Now, folks who have already bought apartment buildings, um, I would hope are sort of up on a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, although I can see you know, people who might yeah, they bought they bought a building and they've just sort of owned it and they're not really paying attention to what's going on in the market. But for a newer investor who's trying to get who's trying to get into this business, um, any encouragement or caveats you would give somebody like that about entering the market right now? Sure, I would tell them first off, just whether it was apartments or anything else, if it's new to them, the, the best thing I could recommend is they need to get educated. Don't just go out and do something because it's the hottest fad. That's what a lot of people did back in 2005, 2006, because real estate was so hot, they just started going out and buying up properties because they heard all these great reports of people making 10, 20% return on their money every year. 
So number one, get educated. Number two, not only get educated about apartments or whatever it is you're looking to purchase, but get educated about the specific market where you're thinking about investing. Mm. Because you do want to make sure that you're buying at the right time in the right part of the cycle with the right strategy so that you end up being successful as opposed to going out and and crashing and burning on your very first deal. And then, of course, you're one of those people that says, oh, screw this, real estate sucks, and I'm never going to do it again. And then you just go back and get a regular nine-to-five job, and you're now trapped in a, in a position where all you're doing is working for the man and making enough money to pay your own mortgage rather than living the lifestyle that we all dream about by getting into real estate. Mm-hmm. So know the basics for sure. And my experience is that that if – if somebody is interested in apartments, they should just go buy apartments. They should. Have you run across this thing where people seem to think there's like this, uh, there's like this career path for real estate investors where you have to start by wholesaling and then you retail and then you want some single families and then maybe you move up to a four family and then you can get into apartments. Like they believe that almost it's almost like a college education where you can't get apartment buildings until you've had a single family home. That's right. You got to go 101, then 102, then 103, then 201, <laughs> and 203, and 203. Yeah, there are people like that. I, I personally, I wish I had started with apartments first before I did my single family homes because I spent a ton of money on down payments for the single family homes that I bought, and that literally didn't leave me enough left to do some of the apartments when I started to get into apartments. So that's one of the reasons I had to go out and start finding a whole bunch of other investors who wanted to invest with me because I had already blown my money on all these other single-family homes around the country. Well, and you and I both know people that the very first building they bought was a 100-unit building. They, it, it's, just, it's just not the case that somehow owning a single-family trains you to do apartments. What trains you to do apartments is getting training about how to do apartments. That's very true. Yeah. So what I what I always tell people is, look, if if you're going to if you're going to sit in front of me and say, well, right now I want to do this, but eventually I want to own apartments. My question to you is going to be, why don't you just go own apartments? And their 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 response is always, well, you know, I don't have enough money or I don't have enough experience. And the reality is wholesaling doesn't train you to own doesn't give you the experience you need to own apartments. That's true. And in most wholesaling, most people I know that wholesale all they've really done is created as a job for them. They're self-employed wholesalers or even fix and flippers because they, they go out and they do a job and then the money comes in and then the money stops. Mm-hmm. And then they have to go do it again in order to keep the money coming in. Well, they have to keep doing that because they quit their job and it's the only source of income. And sometimes they get trapped in that cycle and they never get out of being a wholesaler or a fix and flipper, even though they really do want to buy apartments mm-hmm. because they can't let go of that quote unquote paycheck Mm-hmm. Because their cash flow would stop coming in if they did that, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. So yeah, the bottom line is any 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 of you folks who are listening who are thinking, no, that is actually what I want to do, but I can't because I'm a beginner. It, it just don't don't think that way. It's it's just not the case. First first building my dad ever bought was a 12 unit apartment building. He never owned a single family rental property before that. Um, just it, it's it's different than buying single family homes, but it's not a lot harder than buying single family homes. So uh, get your training, learn your market, get your experience, but don't give up on it just because you are brand new. Anthony, thank you for being with us this evening. Um, look forward to seeing you in Ohio and particularly in Cincinnati on 
the 15th of March. And uh, we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.